Hi, welcome to Globe Shoes. I am so sorry that I am producing this episode a little late. I said I produced it on Saturday, and I am producing it on Wednesday. Now, I guess the advantage is I guess I can just produce episodes regularly every Wednesday, but I am still sorry for the lateness. I hope three days didn't keep you waiting too much, but I hope you forgive me. Thank you so much. And also, before we start, I would like to tell you that I have decided to kick off season two with a bang episode, so you can hear it right now. Hi, welcome to Globe Shoes, the travel podcast for all ages. So, as I said, I would start the season out with a bang, and I have all new material. So, the bang episode is, who will reign as the king of accommodations, hotels or Airbnbs? Now, a quick definition of a hotel. For this episode, I will mostly be talking about a big chain hotel like Ramada or Holiday Inn or Hampton Inn or Marriott or Hilton, but I would also like you to know that there are pensions, which are like low-range hotels, but have a great value, don't have too many amenities, but are basic and good. And hostels that have that broke college backpacker vibe, but actually are making an effort to become more family-friendly, mad props. And boutique hotels, which have all the awesomeness of a pension, but have a little bit more amenities and are usually still family-run and more small. On the other side are the Airbnbs. Now, I'm just using the term Airbnb as a term for all vacation rental services like HomeAway or Verbo because I don't want to list all vacation rental platforms, pun totally intended. So just know that I'm using it generically. So without any further ado, and there has been a lot of ado, let's get this debate right on. So I have not personally stayed in a lot of hotels, but I do know that there are plenty of advantages. For one, that you can get your room cleaned every day and it is nice when you're coming back from a long, hard, hot day of sunseeing, sightseeing, and everything is just nice and neat and cool and folded away. For example, this is what happened to us in Luxor. Luxor, it was quite hot in the Valley of the Kings and going into the tombs, it was really hot and we were just exhausted by the time we came back And when everything was neat, it just lifted our soul to see it. The second advantage I'm going to list is room service. Room service can be quite great if you just don't want to go out to a restaurant, if you don't want to leave the hotel, if you just want to stay in your room. And, well, we did this in Luxor too. We ordered room service. The third advantage are pools and spas. So, for example, there was this pool in Luxor again. It was had this gorgeous uh, planned garden setting with the sunset in the distance and the uh, rolling uh, desert hills also in the distance. It was gorgeous and invigorating. And also, my mother got a massage at 9 p.m. in Barda. Most massage therapists everywhere are closed by 9 p.m., but in a hotel, you can get a massage anytime you want. Now, the next advantage is entertainment in-house entertainment it's just right downstairs and 
there's no cab it's just a free elevator right away for example in puerto morelos we stayed at this all-inclusive and they had salsa dancing in the lobby for my mom and dad now i was only what seven or eight at the time so i didn't get a chance to uh go there because i was too young but that is beside the point but on a more practical level uh hotels are really great for short trips because they have no minimum stay and also public transportation in select hotels is usually very close. A great example for this is Munich. So we were only staying 36 hours in München, Germany, and the U-Bahn was really close by for when we need to get places in Munich. And another great advantage was are the views in hotels. It can be either a high-rise hotel like the Westin downtown or the or in Dubai for example where we actually stayed. We had a room on the 20th floor that had a beautiful view. And also, it could also be on the banks of a river or a lake or an ocean. So on Cairo Sofitel, it was on the bank of the Nile. So I could watch the tiny waves just lap up onto the island and the mighty Nile just cruise by and felucas, Egyptian sailboats, just dotting the landscape. We'll get to this more in a second, but yes, the big hotels can be massive and impersonal, but just know that I have stayed in smaller hotels and pensions that are family-run and are charming. For example, this pension Aerofili in Idra, a Greek island, it was just run by Nicolas and Irene. It was just very simple, and Irene served a most delicious Greek breakfast. It was actually traditional, and we'll get to that more later. Well. I guess that was the perfect segue into these disadvantages. Now, I'm going to list these disadvantages that I foreshadowed on. So, atmosphere. So, atmosphere of big hotels, it can be really rigid and uniform and sterile. Because if you've been to one Marriott, you've really been to really all of them. It's The Beijing Marriott is probably the same as the Riyadh Marriott, which is probably the same as the Wichita, Kansas Marriott. But the caveat to this sterile atmosphere are the fancier hotels. Once you get to the Ritz-Carlton and intercontinental level, that is just a whole different level that is beyond the scope of this episode. The second disadvantage just before food is location. Big block hotels are usually in a really touristy or really remote area with many other big block hotels. And being in either a really kind of really remote location can be a double-edged sword. For example, in the Cairo Sofitel, it was great on the Nile Bank with the uh, felucas and dotting the landscape and all that, but it was quite unwalkable to really most every site. And it was as if the Cairo city planners were going to fence in all these big block hotels and bad restaurants for a 30 minutes walk in either direction. So that is kind of disappointing. And back to tying this theme with of reimagining travel, it makes you lose the local flavor of a real city. It's for it's because it's only this glitzy side only for tourists and not for globetrotters people to get the real deal of a city. And this next disadvantage is food. Yes, room service is great. Room service can be a lifesaver, but it is not a wallet saver. And other hotels provide a continental breakfast, but the food is usually a subpar at best. And even in nice hotels, it can be kind of uh, disappointing. The breakfast can be kind of interesting because 
in Dubai, we had this nice hotel, but it was horrible food. And the breakfast was expensive too, unfortunately. And probably the biggest of the big disadvantages of hotels is pricing. I mean, we all love our wallet, don't we? And we also love to keep it full or sometimes stuffing it. So we have noticed that just one hotel room costs approximately 20% more than a typical Airbnb. And don't get me started about the in-house convenience because you go downstairs to the hotel restaurant, the price of food and drink is just jacked up. And even also when you walk into a regular hotel and you just want to order food, it is much more expensive than a regular restaurant. For example, in Addis Ababa, my mom met her friend at the Radisson Blue for drinks and she ordered a glass of wine for $10. Now that might not sound like a lot for you, but well, in Addis Ababa, $10 can buy you a meal that three people can gorge themselves on. So let's weigh our options here. And probably the most expensive and wallet draining amenity is laundry. Like $6 for one pair of undies? I mean, come on, really? At that rate, it's gonna just bleed your wallet. So in Cairo, me and my mother took a cab to a local wash and fold and met this lovely Egyptian older gentleman named Hazem. And we actually got to experience another part of Cairo that was not this touristy center. So that helped our little, so. That's pretty much a hotel. Well, at least big hotels. So let me just calm down and take a break and I will see you in about a minute. Marawi here and I would just like to ask you a small little favor if you don't mind would you please write in your thoughts about the podcast what did I miss what did I mess up on what can I do better what would you like to see on the podcast please write in today for a better groceries tomorrow thank you so much This is Globe Shoes. All right, so I'm focused, I'm laser focused on finishing this debate and driving home these points. So let us get to the advantages of an Airbnb. Number one, each Airbnb is unique. So really, whatever your taste in decor, you can find it. If you want a 1700s house, a castle, a mid-century modern, turn of the century, futuristic, treehouse, houseboat, you can find it. For example, well, for us in Rome, we stayed in a 19th century home that had a massive ceiling, that had big windows and shutters that inspired a feeling. And what's a word that rhymes with shutters? But in Brussels, we stayed in this old world renovated townhouse that had all the great amenities and a tiny yard, but we stayed on the second floor, so we couldn't have the yard. 
And in Florence, a high bedroom ceiling was surrounded by torrents of frescoes, kind of like the ones Michelangelo painted. They were fresh and new and pure, not slightly tainted. So, there you go. That is, I guess I'm rapping about what our Airbnbs look like. And in the Loire Valley, we stayed in the servants' quarters house of the huge uh, Loirean estate. As you can see, we love old world charm. And with an Airbnb, you are free to choose. You are not bound by beige tyranny. And another major advantage of Airbnbs is the price. You can get up to two bedrooms and two bathrooms for the exact same price or even less than a hotel room. And you can do your own laundry for free. And the cherry on top, the price is negotiable. And Airbnb covers basically all the major disadvantages that a hotel have. Location. Oh, that's another one. So you can choose whatever location you want. You can stay in the touristy center. You can stay away from the tourists, etc., etc., etc. You can follow the first rule of real estate. Choose the location, the location, the location. For example, when we were in Paris, we stayed in Le Marais, which is somewhat touristy, but also somewhat local. And we stayed right off the main street of the Marais, but we had three boulangeries within walking distance. And we had a little street market, more on that later. But it was such a quiet street. In Prague, we stayed in Kampa Island, near Kampa Island, which is kind of like the Dumbo of Prague. By the way, Dumbo is not an insult. It just means down under Manhattan Bridge overpass, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. And in Milan, we stayed near Navigli, which is by the canal. So I guess it's a little bit like uh, Milan's Goenus. So what do those neighborhoods have in common? They have a lot of hipsters. Next advantage is hosts. I mean, if you luck out, you can be great friends and personal friends, and they can also be your local guides. And they could also be your local experts, as I mentioned in the Globeshoes Method of Education. And I could talk forever about the great hosts that have made our travels more deep and meaningful, but I will set that aside for another episode and move on to the next advantage. So food. You can be a block away from a street market, foreshadowing, remember, or the supermarket or a food hall. So it's very inexpensive to cook for yourself with a fully equipped kitchen. Like we were literally three steps or three minutes away from the Paris Bastille market and also poking around a supermarket is part of the fun of exploring a local culture to see what locals are buying. Just gives me a kick, I don't know exactly why, but I guess that's a part of it. And also for food halls, we were so close in to food halls in Italy. For example, the Mercato Centrale in the central market in Florence and Rome. That was like kind of like Pond City Market. We could eat delicious local food. And even if you're not the cooking type and you don't feel like cooking, Uber Eats or delivery is your room service, so... And it's not as wallet draining, so that's great. And probably Airbnb's massive, massive advantage is that Globeshoe's tenet of reimagining travel and getting authentic experiences is in line with the general Airbnb flavor or aura. But... Did I paint the rosy, rosy picture of Airbnb? Well, I guess it's time for me to ruin it all. So, it's ruining time. Number one, it's great to be in someone else's house because you feel like you're at home, but when you're in their actual primary residence, like their personal stuff is laid out all over and it can make some people feel uncomfortable. For example, in New York, 
as I said, we stayed right in the middle of where the Harlem Renaissance was happening, but, well, it was their host's primary residence, and my mother felt quite uncomfortable seeing all their personal stuff all over the apartment. Number two, security. Some people feel more secure in a hotel because there are security measures and cameras. For example, there are no hotel key card. You don't have a key card. You no entry to your room. And we also bought into the stereotype that in Egypt, you must stay in hotels, but actually it was secure. Let me just let you in on that secret. So we stayed in Mahdi the second time around in Egypt, or in Cairo, excuse me, because we had gone to Luxor and Aswan and went back to Cairo. Uh, we stayed in Mahdi near Road 9, and it was like Cairo's Brooklyn. It was as if uh, Cairo's was about to have a hipster epidemic if they didn't fence in the hipsters. And another minor disadvantage for some people is that very few Airbnbs have pools. But high-end Airbnbs have pools. But I can't give an example of this because I haven't booked one yet that has a pool. And let me just finish with the major, major disadvantage. Not all Airbnbs look what they say they look like. Well, at Holiday Inn or Hampton Inn, well, you know what the decor looks like and the cleanliness looks like because the untruthfulness of Airbnb hosts is a major concern. They're misleading you and misrepresenting their place. And also, if it has no reviews, just do not book it. You may be a guinea pig for a flop experience. So these two points relate to each other in our choice of Airbnb in Vienna. So we chose it for the location, an advantage. So we chose this neighborhood, Spittelberg, which was this traditional Austrian neighborhood that was beautiful and quite local, but having this kind of hip energy to it. But the Airbnb did not match the awesomeness of the neighborhood because the bathroom was right off the kitchen. Uh, the kitchen was filled with half-eaten food. Uh, there were no pillows. There were basically zero amenities for what we paid for. So that kind of dampened our experience, but I still love Airbnb a lot. So I guess that's the end of our debate. So I guess the takeaway is that pensions and small hotels are a-okay and perfectly fine, but sometimes it is nice to stay in a big hotel for just a night. But where do... I personally stand. I stand mostly with Airbnbs. But why? It's simple. It's because of the general theme of this podcast reimagining travel. When you get smart, go to the travel podcast. Go to the travel smart with Josh and Marab. Josh and Marab. Listen right now. Reimagine and travel. Those were the theme songs to the lyrics. Lyrics to the theme song. Bye.